Welcome to another episode of One Million Breaths Podcast from Make Nashville. I'm Chad Crash. With me is my co-host, Will Harper. Hey, everybody. How are y'all doing today? How are you doing, Will? I'm good. I want my second cup of coffee for the evening. Yeah, I just polished off some tea. So, uh, how is the status of everything going on here? I guess we've got the we came to a closure with the the ventilators program that's completed. How is the cloth mask making going? Well, I will say I don't think the ventilators are actually completed. There's phase one uh, that's been completed, okay. but there's still numerous but subsequent that's our, phases. Our phase is finished, correct? No, no. In fact, we are, uh, I intend for us to produce them continuously here. I'd like to produce a couple at least a week um, and get them to places that need them, whether that be a city in the United States, uh, Nashville, our home city, whether it's a country, a different country that might need them. I mean, just to have them at this point seems wise, at least a few, you know, there, I know individual households that would be interested in having them, uh, like be able to buy one and have it sitting in the closet ready to go. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think that people would use something that's made at make Nashville for such a purpose. But at the same time, we, you know, we've made things here over the years that range from paintings and furniture all the way to like uh, biodiesel generators and electric vehicles. You know, it's just a, it's a matter of what we want to make um, as makers that ends up uh, resulting in what we, what we do make most of the time. But uh, Vanderbilt and uh, Fort Houston did knock it out of the park phase one, along with the McAllister Abel or Abel and McAllister. Can't remember. Uh, I'd never heard of them before this, but they machined a bunch of the parts there on their CNC routers. And um, now there should be approximately 100 completed, at least uh, most of the mechanical assembly ventilators. At, I would expect Fort Houston at this point, and I, at the, the next things that need to happen on the ventilators, I would expect would be testing of the quality of, uh, I mean, these ventilators were put together by technically inclined folks and almost any of them would need to be but the goal is for them to be able to be produced in garages by nearly anyone with uh with very little um so there's still a lot of development that needs to happen uh and testing and um just publishing of information the, the masks though uh here at make nashville have been going quite well to get back to your question uh they, I don't know how many got made this week, probably a couple hundred at least. Um, and I now know of even more places that want and need masks. Um, so I expect this week we'll probably uh, unload most of the masks we have in stock that have been sitting quarantining in a shelf or isolating uh, in, the, in the fabric lab there. We've got uh, the Nashville Rescue Mission, I believe, needs tons of masks. Um, I would expect the homeless population needs masks here in town. Uh, I don't know if many of them have them, gotten them. Uh, other uh, related nonprofits need them, uh, like domestic abuse shelters, um, 
couple of weeks ago, probably said this on the podcast before, but it just struck me. The animal control, Metro Animal Control, needed some masks. Um, and then restaurants need them. Did I, t- I tell you about the guy that called me this week about getting like 20,000 masks made? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't he like working out a deal with McDonald's or something? He had, yeah, his, uh, he was just bizarre, man. Like the, the, the man for masks is most definitely not going away, the need for them. And luckily, we've got a bunch of cool people in the community, just amazing people voluntarily making these masks. And, I mean, it's not just us. It's There's tons of other organizations and groups. Yeah. Facebook. I, like, they've got the, the med threads and, the, and the, I can't remember. There's a couple, and there's definitely at least a couple in Middle Tennessee. Uh, but other organizations as well have been doing uh, masks. I feel like I saw a company who did some type of, uh, like, clothing recently in town that had done a bunch or maybe it was a special effects artist somebody who just had the capacity and just cranked them out but then at the same time you've got people like i we have a friend who has some type of contract i believe with cnn for thousands of masks so there's these businesses that need the masks there's and they have the money for the masks. there's businesses that need the masks. you don't have the money for them there's people who need them who you could make a mask out of a t-shirt, but, um, well, you know, it's funny you say that. Cause I was looking at a mask that, um, that one of the local Kroger stores is providing with one of their employees with, they're giving them these masks and they're made out of, um, t-shirt material. And it's only like two layers, really thin. I've been meaning to take one. I got one at home. I'm going to test it with the Cause it, if you're you're listening at home, yeah, you can take a can of Lysol spray, any kind of aerosol spray, and you can hold it up to the back of the mask and hold down the button. And if nothing escapes through the layers, I don't know if I'd use any type of aerosol spray. You don't want to use like hairspray. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying for a test. Well, we got to be specific now because we've got people who are suggesting crazy, crazy things like injection of bleach and Lysol and other household chemicals along with, I mean, dude, I don't know about the tanning bed stuff, honestly. I, 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 I like get into a tanning bed because it's got UV bowls. Well, I mean, I th- honestly think that would probably help. I've never used a tanning bed, but the sauna is one of my favorite things for my, my health, for knocking out any kind of feverish experiences I've had for the past five years. Um, however... Well, what about chirogenic freezing? I wonder because, you know, they're talking about it cannot uh, withstand cold temperatures. I'm sure that wouldn't hurt for most people who can take it. But, uh, like, you know, you do something like a cryogenic chamber. Uh, I've never tried it. I have taken an ice bath. And I feel like I nearly killed myself when I did it. Because I, I tried to be a tough guy and sit in there for longer than everybody else. And, like, as long as I could fathom 15 minutes. And I got out. And I couldn't walk. I couldn't pee. I couldn't function. Couldn't, I couldn't get my hands to stop shaking. My toes hurt that I couldn't feel. I couldn't feel them, but I knew that they hurt. They just, anyhow, I do think, though, that that stuff is actually good. Have you seen, it was a few weeks ago, Wim Hof had a video about, uh, you know, the immune system. And actually, it, it seems like this whole thing, man, this is, this is so crazy. I know that you asked, we, had, we started on a track of, like, 
talking about specific things, but this this to me seems like like you were talking about Duncan Trussell talking about how it's like a um, like a good conspiracy, you know. Yeah. I, it seems to me like a spiritual, a, a, a merging of just all these different variables in our reality to where this is just, it's, it's changed almost everything. And a lot of things for the better, a lot of things for the worse. But from, from my perspective, having constantly obsessed and, and continuing to, with uh politics i mean this is this is throwing a wrench in the gears of our capitalist economic structure our our everything our government uh it's so strange and f i feel so fortunate to have been a part of a nonprofit in the midst of this because this is really what we're supposed to do as a maker as a makerspace yeah it's a nonprofit this is by far the most effective it could be or we could be uh we've we've done a lot for the community in the past and we've always talked about doing more but now it's like it's plain as day you know uh but there's still uh super it's a ton of problems just because we're you know fortunate enough to be able to help uh, there's problems like we can't do anything about, um, which I think it's good that we can actually talk about them. Um, like we were talking about, it looks like a, a potential problem or an interesting thing for us and, and as a business and uh, other businesses. I mean, what are we supposed to be opening up this week? Yeah, I think, I don't think it's educational centers. I think it's just restaurants or Monday and, uh, retail stores. So that's on tomorrow. Wednesday. You can go and eat in a restaurant tomorrow again. Yeah, but there, I believe that the tables have to be spaced ten feet apart. And the and, uh, and you're not allowed to be at a bar. So retail spaces like Home Depot's been limiting. They don't have to do that anymore. You think they'll? No, the retail spaces now. See, they're still going to recognize social distancing. It's just the stores that were non-essential are going to be allowed to open start Wednesday. I see. So, but they're going to make all employees have to wear masks. Um, they have really, to, yeah, they have to practice social distancing. I'm sure we're going to see a lot of plexiglass shields put up at cash registers. We're going to need more hand sanitizer. Yeah, lots of hand sanitizer everywhere. Seriously, man, we need as much as we can get. Hand sanitizer everywhere. Redo all doorknobs, cash out systems. Um, one of the cool things about being part of a maker community, one of the guys kind of early on in this that I reached out to for some assistance with making of stuffs, uh, he's got a, a strong background in programming and electronics. And he talked about <clears throat> going to the store and seeing, noticing all these points of contact that could be minimized because I haven't been to a store that does self-checkout. I've ordered from curbside from Home Depot and I go to the Mexican supermarket by my house where I, I can pay cash or card. I think they've stopped having a lot of folks press the buttons and you just sign now automatically instead of yeah. doing, but like he was talking about it, Publix where 
those, they had stopped doing all the self-checkout because everybody would be touching the same screen. So they had all the cashiers set up like, like back in the day. But there were still points where he just noticed, you know, things you had to touch. And um, I mean, like we're hopefully one of the things I want to do before I get out of here today is, is print out a QR code for our Google form for our waiver. So instead of people needing to write physically their name on a piece of paper, they can just scan it with their phone and then go onto their phone and, and fill out all the information, which should mostly autofill anyhow, like your name and all that. So, I mean, technology, uh, well, who was it? Was it Bill Gates was saying innovation and technology is going to be our way out of this? Uh, it could have been. We definitely need gardens too, though, which is something we're planning on starting to work on. Yeah, we're going to start a gardening program this week, aren't we? That's Build the, some boxes. We need to get some uh, some good lumber, and it sounds like there might be a source over in the Nations area, West Nashville. Might need to go drop off a bucket of hand sanitizer or something to <laughs> some masks. They probably got masks that they're still operating. But well, were you looking up the cases, man? Do you want to talk about the cases? Is that worth? I mean, do people care? Do people already know? I figured yeah, it's just interesting that the day, the day, just a few days after they announced that they're opening again this week, that mm. Saturday we recorded oh. the biggest spike since the start of the God. pandemic. God, man, you in, know, in the state of Tennessee. I don't know if it's the state of Tennessee or just Davidson County, but. Vanderbilt was saying they didn't expect some researchers from Vanderbilt the peak. To arrive until June, July, right? Yeah. It, it seems like it's all, it's all in, it's all had, it's all for not if we, if we've been social distancing and isolating, quarantining for the last month or two. Okay. So John Cooper's, Mayor Cooper's uh, Twitter announced they confirmed. 2,370 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Davidson County as of yesterday. And that's an increase of 157 cases in the past 24 hours. Please continue to follow our safe at home plan and help. Because, yeah, I mean, if, if we've been doing this, if we've been dealing with it, trying to deal with it for weeks now, and we decide to quote unquote reopen everything and just end all I mean we're not going to end all it but I mean if it's getting worse now than it's been for the past few weeks yeah now would be the I would think of something like the middle right it's like it's not over yet if what well, well, I mean if the, if we're afraid of some economic damage then we can deal with that but let's not give up because it's kind of hard right now because it seems like it's just going to get worse. But maybe somebody's really confident in the in the heat of the summer knocking it out. But I don't think we know enough about what's going on, honestly, like with this thing. Like I was, I pulled this up. I wanted to talk to you about it. I wanted to bring it up because it's kind of frightening and it's kind of interesting. And uh, it's it kind of plays in my point about the the spiritual the verging of all these variables in our in our real in our philosophies of reality, like you see, you've surely seen this, right? Young and middle aged people, barely sick with COVID nineteen, are dying from strokes. 
Yeah, actually, you know, funny story. I was talking to this cashier the other day, and she had shared a story with me. Um, so her daughter's boyfriend had his mother just last week. She had. Um, Got a got sick and she did one of the the web doctor visits and the web doctor said she had bronchitis. <laughs> well, the next morning she was found dead. Oh my goodness. Yeah, died of and they listed her cause of death bronchitis. Oh my goodness. Because apparently in that county, it's somewhere outside of Clarksville, I believe, that there hasn't been any deaths uh <sighs> registered yet so they're oh it makes me sense shivers down my spine you know i've been hearing a lot of stories that uh there's people that believe that the exact opposite that you know how they're like oh they're labeling everything as a covid death Mm -hmm. which from what i hear this it's the exact opposite now that they're listing everything as Something um, other than COVID. Something and, other than COVID. That's, so dude, that that's way why they the, can keep the numbers from spiling. Oh, you know, my goodness. Spir- so it depends on who, which media that you're getting your information from. Either they're reporting everything mm. as COVID or they're repeating or they're not saying anything, you know, Mixed limiting mind. to the amount of COVID deaths that they release on the news. Do you know what, your, what our medubla oblongadas are? Yeah. What are they? No, I'd say, yeah, what are they? Oh, uh, they I think they're it might be the thing. Oh, on your No, that's called something else. I think the medulla oblongata is the base, the top of the spine, the center, bottom of the brain, which is like our reptilian brain. Is that the pine cone? Uh, no, that's the pineal gland. That's our most okay. advanced uh, I think. I could I'm not a neurologist or anything, but uh Neuroscientists that have very little background, but some part of my brain starts firing up when when you're talking about this stuff because I feel like I feel like we know better. Just using common logic, logical sense, it's it seems like such a bad idea to not deal with this seriously and and consider scientific truth to be the most. Uh, useful thing like there should be I've, I've heard about uh doctors labeling issues as COVID-19 to, to get you know more money um but this this discussion reminds me of the discussion I think we talked about this on one of the first episodes where the uh or at least I made you I think sit through uh Eric Weinstein on Joe Rogan where he's talking about masks yeah and and how there's people who say that they actually harbor germs and that is an argument to be made but it's important to keep it in context and consider the benefits that uh, like there's probably doctors who are you know overplaying this or people in certain ways at certain times like there's probably people who could could go to work and it's like a non-contact job and they know it and their bosses know it but it's the, you know it's required by law that they stay home and and they're probably cool with it. They probably, but the vast majority of people. I mean, if you can work from home, uh, it, it's. I'm I'm ranting. 
I'm going to need another podcast. Yeah. So anyways, let's talk about the interviews that we have um, on board. Wait, first I want to go through Plexiglass at Kid Rocks. Do you think they're going to, the tourism industry is going to like, in Nashville, uh, is it going to, is it going to make it through? I mean, is it ever going to be the same? Everybody's going to be wearing masks probably for the next year. I mean, so what I what I saw in the news was they're going to have everybody wearing masks that work at the honky tonks on Broadway. So the musicians, the security, the bartenders, the servers, you know, management, everybody is wearing the mask. But what they didn't touch. On what I saw was I didn't hear if the what the tourists are going to do, but I think at this point I don't know if there's going to be any tourists coming through in a while because they have the outbreaks they're dealing with at the airports with the what is it the people that are there you know Homeland Security doing the pat downs. Seems like you should only be able to open if you Four have like five of those already just a couple of weeks ago got diagnosed with COVID-19. So oh my it's goodness. definitely so situation. Definitely uh, back to the interviews. We I know one thing that the our efforts in uh assisting with the production of hand sanitizer do not need to slow down. That is not slowing down. Hand sanitizer there's more, just more and more hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer, soap, sanitation, the masks. You know, honestly, like, now, if they can do this for a tattoo convention, they can honestly do it in front of these big businesses. Is why not put temporary hand washing mm-hmm. stations out front? Mm-hmm. You know, where people can wash their hands before they come in. You know, That's before genius. Before they come in the building. We need to look into that. We need to contact the company that does that or look into an open source design. $500 to buy one, you know, That's for another thing we could start making. Model. All right. But, so you've got interviews. Who all? Yeah. So we have an interview with one of the fellows that runs a public maker space in New York City. That's right. Mo. Mo. That was so awesome. Yeah, and then we also have an interview with Roger from Fort Houston about working on he was one of the fellows that helped us with the ventilator project there. I can't wait to hear that Got one. That one started. And then I just did an interview today with Marshall from Pennington Distillery on making hand sanitizer. Undoubtedly is good. Yeah. So these are coming out this week. Yeah, yeah. So, so the week of, of May 1st. The week of May 1st and the end of April 2020. One of the most pivotal times in yeah, our I lives. guess, you know, timing-wise, I guess it's perfect because, you know, with the reopening of the state, but how long do you... Dude, the state's going to close back down. You think it's going to... This is what I feel. I think we're going to open to phase one. And we're just going to stay in phase one for the rest of the year. If we I don't see think these cases go... spike, though, after we reopen, if this gets worse. I mean, because this is the thing. They're going to open up all the retail businesses that weren't able to have business. They're going to open them up. 
unless God forbid the worst thing happens and all of a sudden we have 10,000 new coronaviruses in 24 hours, which I don't even think we have the testing capacity to have that many people test. Can't can't get cases if you if you uh, don't have tests. Yeah. And what is so what is the status? So we've heard all this talk about rapid testing and how Ireland has a blood test where you can test for antibodies and you can know if someone's positive or not within six minutes. Well, so what is what's the deal? Why aren't we why don't we have that here? Why are we still using the throat swabs that take weeks? Let me look into that and we'll talk about it on the next podcast. All right. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, but let's uh, get into these interviews. Um, we're gonna run them. Uh, and like I said, anybody that wants to come and be interviewed for one of our shows, talking about what's going on with the COVID nineteen crisis, how it's affected your job or your business, your life, shoot us an email. Make Nashville. Uh, go on makenashville dot org. There's plenty of information on there. You can reach out to us. On do it on Twitter. On Twitter, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, please support the Make Nashville Twitter. <laughs> Look us up, Make Nashville at Twitter. Twitter, so. Twitter needs that traffic, man. They're struggling. But anyways, all right. Well, enjoy the interviews. All right, we're here live today. We're interviewing Roger. Roger, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I am a, uh, I'm a retired, uh, this, I'm in my fourth career. I was a NGO, non-governmental organization, lobbyist and executives in Washington, D.C. for about 30 years. Then I became a mediator and then I became a consultant work in the foster care field, and now I'm a woodworker. So uh, I think this is my most productive uh, career. I've been, I've uh, wanted to do woodworking all my life, and the last three years I've actually been doing it. Yeah, I think when I met you, you're you got a woodworking project for guitars, right? I did. Um, one of the things that's happened to me since I started uh, doing woodworking is friends will come to me and say, Roger, I have a problem. So one of my friends said that he had a recording studio in his uh, in his house and all of his instruments in their cases were stacked up in a corner. So he asked me to, if I would build him a uh, a guitar rack where he could put the guitars uh in their cases or outside their cases. So I did that and I've actually sold a few of those. Um, it's got a few more curves in it than your standard uh, guitar rack. So I've enjoyed doing those. Ah, that's, yeah, I remember you showed me some photographs of them. They look very beautiful. So, Thank you. So what it, how's the COVID-19 stay at home quarantine, whatever you want to call it. What, how has that been treating you? Well, um, you know, my woodworking uh, place is uh, Fort Houston, which is one of the two other maker spaces in Nashville other than Make Nashville. And um, 
at the first part of that, I was going into the wood shop, keeping the six feet away. But uh, I'm 72, and some of my peers there convinced me that um, even though the risk of my encountering the virus by going in there was low, that um, that given my age, it wasn't it, it, it just it wasn't worth it. So I've been I've been uh, puttering at home, my doing a little bit of work, but you know without the tools I'm accustomed to, I haven't been able to make anything. But my garden is friggin' gorgeous. <laughs> so. Um... At Fort Houston, you guys started working with us, picking up our slack, I guess, uh, with the 100 ventilators program, correct? You bet. You bet. When I, when, when I read about that in, uh, on the web and heard that Make Nashville was involved, I wasn't a bit surprised, but I, I called up right away and said, how can we help? And we have an advantage at Fort Houston because the there's a giant room next to our workshop, which is used by the owner for weddings and that sort of thing. And there haven't been very many weddings lately, but uh, that meant we had the space where you could set up an assembly line. And uh, I asked the building owner, the building owner immediately said yes. And so one of our people, Al Clemens, has been working closely with you guys and with uh, uh, the Vanderbilt doctors to uh, to actually do the assembly work. And I think they're either have finished or are closing in on finish 100 ventilators. Pretty amazing project. Yeah, so what it, what it, can you tell us exactly? I knew, like I was there when we got the windshield wiper motors from Nissan. What else is entail, entailed on the ventilator? It's a very complicated uh, assembly, as you might guess. The instruction manual is 35 pages long. Um, there are just, uh, there are the windshield wiper motor powers a pump, but the pump has got to push air. It's got to push air through a tube. Um, there are, I want to say, 20 different plywood parts. There are flat parts and boxes and braces and and arms sticking out and bolts and screws that go on. It's just, uh, um, you know, it it's not your normal DIY project, let me put it to you that way. And, of course, it's every one of these things has got to be put in place really, really carefully. So um, the uh, it, it's a complicated process has been very helpful that the Fort Houston workshop is right there because we did have to stop and modify a few parts in order to get them to fit, but all of our tools were right there close at hand, so it worked out great. Of course, Make Nashville was critical in this because they're the ones who originally got all the parts and and uh, helped put together the manual and get all the, get all the pieces together for this, and really our focus has been on the assembly end of it. Yeah, it's man, we're grateful for you guys to come along and pitch in and help out and take take initiative to just you know take. Well, we've had on. you know we've had over twenty different volunteers come in, and uh, the typical person comes in and spends a whole day from about ten thirty in the morning to five thirty in the afternoon, 
Um, so it's been day in and out. Several of the volunteers have come in, uh, you know, day after day. They've uh, and everyone is careful to stay six feet apart unless there are preformed groups, such as a, a husband and wife or a guy and a girlfriend uh, who are, you know, together anyway. Yeah. But um, so that that puts some limitations. You can't gather all around a table the way we would normally. But everybody's been very good spirited and very, uh, very attentive to being taking care for each other. It's been a great uh, experience. I have not actually been allowed to participate in the assembly. Uh, the The general rule we had was we wanted people to be 50 or younger in order to volunteer because all the research we know, even if somebody did uh, contract the coronavirus, these younger people have been pretty much uh, saved the worst effects of it. So I've had to watch from a distance. The very first time I'll tell you, the, the first time I typed a, a text message to somebody saying, thank you for coming, but I won't be there because my my peers have said I shouldn't, I started crying. Yeah. And uh, it was, um, you know, just that's the way it is. You know, the the Buddhists have a saying that the source of all pain is non-acceptance of what is. Yeah, you can't, so, uh, can't help out. That, that's a, yep. yeah, it's a killer. Um, so what, what do you think about them opening up the country here, I guess, on the first of the month? I know that's quite the controversial subject at the matter at the moment. Well, I I think it really depends on what all of us do with this new situation. Um, if people go to business as usual and start gathering together where there are groups of people that don't nor aren't normally with each other, then um, then there are going to be more outbreaks. Of the of the disease, and a lot of people are going to get sick. If um, if people take the take it seriously that you're supposed to stay apart from each other, and the other big if is if we can get enough testing ability, so that, um, for example, if I worked in a nursing home, I would find a way to get myself tested. If I had to pay for it myself, if I worked in a nursing home, I would be getting myself tested. And if I thought I'd been exposed, I'd get myself tested again. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to go to a gathering of 20 people where everybody is doesn't know each other and is coming all coming together. I'm just not going to do that. So I, I, I really think it, um, it, it depends on, uh, on how seriously we all take it. And I think it's, it, it's interesting. My daughter has taken this far more seriously than I did. She's 30. And um, I think that the younger people, in a way, are taking it more seriously than uh, people my age, even though the facts are the opposite. So I don't know. I, I will return back to Fort Houston and go back to work as soon as they lift the shelter-in-place order. I'm going to be very careful to stay apart from people. I'm going to have my alcohol wipes. I'm going to wipe down the the handles on the 
table saw and other things. And um, but I I guess I think I think we've all got to figure out how to live with this new reality for a time. Yeah, definitely. It's it, it's going to be the hardest. I think the the one of the big questions that's coming up is I teach classes through uh, Nashville Community Education. And the classes are set to start June the 1st. And, um, you know, after Memorial Day. So I think that's going to be an important question is, are we going to gather in small groups? Uh, my class is limited to six people, but still it's six people who don't know each other who are all coming together and uh, working on a common project. Um, so I'm not sure, I think the city will make a decision on whether those classes go forward, but I think we're all gonna have to make some really hard choices about whether we get together with friends um, uh, after the shelter in place order is taken off. You know, one of the main reason the governor put the shelter in place order in place is he felt that people weren't taking seriously the command that they not gather and do group activities. So uh, I think that's, and that we all need to do it in order to protect the vulnerable among us. Excuse me. Bless you. Yeah. I've, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's I funny. If, if every time anybody sneezes, now we all get crazy. <laughs> yeah. We're like, okay. Um, so, yeah. No, I work, before this happened, I was working on Broadway as a bouncer, and I'm just, I've, I see all my friends posting, like, we got to go back to normal. We got to go back to work. And, you know, I'm just wondering how long is it going to be till Broadway can actually be Broadway again? Cause I don't see it thriving until this is, you know, we got so many yards or miles behind us before me, people are going well, to come and play. Well, I'll tell you that for me, so that I think the, the restaurant bar and entertainment scene will, it will be the last thing that we can afford to do. That and um, and I don't know if we're going to be able to afford to do that until there is a vaccine. Yeah. And I'll tell you the the painful part of my life is I'm an active church person, and I'm I'm wondering you know I think the Sunday church is about is about like Broadway Saturday night. It's the same thing. It's a bunch of people who. No, you know who know each other, but live in different places. All coming together and being in close proximity to each other for an hour, an hour and a half, uh, two hours, and uh, I don't know. I, and and you know the the restaurant scene in Nashville is so, and so much of the city and also the convention uh, business. That's the other thing I think are there. These are the last things that are going to come on. Yeah. I, you know, like I experienced when I first moved to Nashville years ago, um, I experienced, I had a friend, a couple of friends that they went to once a month, they held like a small church gathering in their homes yeah. and yeah. it was actually the guy, one of the guys was the, the guy that started Portland Brew, the coffee wow. shops around Nashville, it was him. 
in a small group that they decided to be to move apart from their original church and we went out to his coffee roasting bar and he had a a celebration for uh, Passover and so we went out yeah. there and had lamb and had fresh coffee and talked and these these people they basically were doing church at home you know 10 15 people at a time they'd get together yeah. read the bible and have lunch together and you know that might have to be what people are going to have to resort to for a while until we can get this underhand but at least i mean i'm with technology like zoom i guess you know you could possibly link up 10 or 15 different homes with people in them and have the same message go out to all the different homes all at once and everybody would be able to communicate together yeah well i'm with the second presbyterian church here on belmont and what we've done is the the staff uh, decided that there are a lot of our a lot many of our seniors just aren't that familiar with the technology it's easy for you but some of our members it's not so we've decided the church decided to make a video each week of a sunday service and so all the person has to do is go on youtube which everybody can do yeah and there's the service and it's put live every sunday and so we're having we're not we're not able to interact with each other but we're having a common experience every sunday yeah. And then there are, as you're suggesting, there are smaller groups getting together via Zoom. And I think we're we're going to have to figure out how to get creative. I don't I don't know if there are going to be some if somebody's going to come up with the idea of a, a virtual pub where there's somebody performing and people come in with Zoom and pay, you know, make a five dollar donation for this for the singer. We're going to have to do something. Yeah, I've I've been seeing a little bit of that on Facebook Live, and they're doing. Oh. They, they use their Venmo accounts to get money donated to them. So okay, but you know, fortunately, if that you know if this goes on for a couple of years, it's like it's sad. To see it's, what, it's it's just hard to imagine that their life is going to be fundamentally changed. What I'm one of the things I hope was going to happen, a lot of people are re-examining their lives, and I'm, I'm hopeful that the whole movement of taking back control over parts of our lives, that the, the whole maker movement is part of, the desire for authenticity, real relationships, real things. Um, I, I feel that we will be able to better serve the community than before once this, once we once the new normal is established. I think part of the thing that we're gonna have to figure out is how do we operate maker spaces uh, that are truly safe? Um, I mean, I, I don't know, there's got, we're gonna have to develop some protocols about, um, you know, for example, having alcohol-soaked rags available at all times, that when you finish a machine, you don't just turn the dust collector off but you wipe down i don't know i don't know what those are but i think we need to start thinking creatively i think about what they um, what what are our protocols how how can we make our maker spaces safe places for people to go under this distancing rules and under the social distancing rules 
and let everybody know that we, I mean, the Kroger store has spots on the floor to tell you how far to stand away from people. Uh, so does the drugstore. So I think we need to think a little bit about, okay, like maybe there needs to be a, a string or, a, or a, a couple of pictures up on the wall to show people this is what six feet means. Yeah. This is how far apart you should be. You know, take a look. Um, and um, and I think we all we all put our hands on the on various parts of the tools: the three D printer, the on off switch, the sewing machine. So what are we going to start doing about these things? And also, uh, how how can we be more serious about good quality masks? Yeah, could probably do like a gym, how they have the spray cans throughout, you know, the, the gym. Yeah, you know how you, cloths. You, they have oh, like really? rags yeah. with like uh, spray, some kind of sanitizing spray. Yeah, and you okay. spray the you spray the bench down and wipe it down, so that way people don't get. Otherwise, you have rampant staff infection. Yeah, most gyms have that. They have like spray cans throughout the uh, building and wipes. Oh, like a cloth. Okay. And then, and then throughout the day, I have the staff come through and change the um the towels because so, they get pretty damp after a while. So they have staff go through and change the cloths to new, newer, fresh ones, and uh and refill the bottles whenever they get refilled. So, for example, in our maker spaces, um, maybe what we should do is we should have a time, you know, at the top of the hour, at the half hour. Um, everybody stops what they're doing. And we go in and we wipe down the most frequently used spaces. I, I don't I don't know what the equivalent of in your in in the exercise space is, but what, I think we need to start thinking about okay, what should be just like we have standard rules about how you use tools to use them safely. Um, we need to think okay, what would be if we're going to get serious and be serious about in continuing to invite people into our space that haven't been before, what are, how, how are we going to do this? And I, I don't think that I've given enough thought yet to uh, how to how to how to make sure we do this. I think one of the things we can start with, and I talked with Will about it about here is setting up a hand wash washing station and i'm it's, yep. it's going to take yes. some with the infrastructures but i mean with all the restaurants i mean i've seen whole foods actually when you go into a whole foods they have a hand washing station that's separate from the bathrooms in the eating well, they areas. do is that right yeah that is correct i mean what, just, what have they imagine, done they've replaced the fountains or something like that yeah, it's like beside like where the water fountain. I mean, this has been going on for years. They have the hand washing stations there on the outside, so you don't have to wash your hands inside, touch the doorknobs and such. You know, you don't even have to go into the bathroom to wash your hands before you eat. You just wash your hands. I mean, maybe we need, you know, be in a society where you wash your hands before you enter a business. I think for one of the things we could do is we could put a, a hand sanitizing, you know, the pump. Yeah. And put put it on a stand outside the door. It says, please use this before you enter this space. Yeah. It just, that just that just occurred to me in the moment. And uh, and the other thing is to to encourage people to stop and. You know, you, using a mask is one of the ways you keep your hands off your face. 
So I, I think that for myself, I want to think about um, using a face shield plus a mask uh, in the shop, um, not, not so much to prevent myself from breathing a, a microbe, but to make sure that I'm keeping my hands off my face. We, we need to figure out how, we need to figure out how do we take it seriously and you know you need to create a social norm within our spaces that if someone comes in without a mask we give them one and someone pulls their mask down because it's feeling a little inconvenient and they want to check we, we ask them you know um, we're um, we're trying to be a 95% secure space. So we'll ask you to put the mask back on. Now, I have not seen any conversation like that. Um, but I think we need to start thinking about, because it only takes one story of somebody getting the coronavirus in one of our, one of our maker spaces. And we're done. And I, I honestly think that with the attention that the media has given the maker spaces due to what's been going on and how everybody's been making shields and face masks, I honestly think this is something that we can grow off of and develop. That's good. Become a normal That's part good. of society to where people want to be involved with the maker space so people are educated and they know about the virus. They know how to make their own masks. They know how to make you know, mm -hmm. that's good. That's good. Yeah, right. The more people, um, but we what we need to do though is in our own spaces when we invite people in to help with volunteering and so on, we need to be extra cautious and extra attentive yeah. to doing the things in our space that people are being asked to be to do in other public spaces. And I, I think. For myself, I would say that I haven't been as focused and attentive on this score as uh, as I hope to be in the future. Yeah. Well, it's a lot to think about, you know. So, well, moving forward, I hope to someday be able to shake your hand again, if that's socially acceptable if we get to a safe Isn't that point. something? Yeah. Yeah, pray, let's, let's pray for that day. Let's pray for that day. Have you came It'll on that a... awkward moment where you you run into somebody and you're like, you know, your first yeah. instinct is to just to reach out and shake their hand or... Yeah, you know, it's awful. You just you stand there and look at each other in the eyes and nod and have an awkward moment. It's happened a few times for me, so... Well, you know, uh, I have a friend who ha went to a funeral, and everyone had to be there, stay apart, and they came up with gestures, okay. came up with hand gestures that would that would express what they were feeling. And I think maybe we're going to have to come up with something new, some physical expression of uh, openness to our friends for a while. Uh, that maybe that's part of our task. Me and some of my geeky nerd friends, we, we've been doing the Vulcan hand gesture saying live long and prosper. Ah, good. I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I All mean, right. It's, it's a good, right. it's a good, uh, 
It's that's a, a that's a great start. I like yeah. it. I like it. So how do you do the? What was it? Is it like this? You put your fingers in a V, like split apart, and your thumbs to the side. So yeah, just like that. And oh. you turn it the other way, yeah. like facing, like you're waving at somebody. I see, like this. Yeah, and you stick your thumb out, and then you just say "Live long and prosper." That was the Vulcan greeting. I see. Live long and prosper. Yes. All right. I like it. I like it's a good, it. You it's a give good me something new. Thank you. By. Yeah. Shows us old guys can still learn. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if that's one thing I learned from Star Trek, that, there you go. It's it's years later in my adult life, giving me a new way to wish somebody well and say hello. That's terrific. All right, Roger. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast and speaking with us. And I'd like to hope that to see you again someday. So, oh, I hope it will be that it will be soon. But I, yeah. I have to say again, on behalf of the whole Nashville community, thank you to Make Nashville for stepping up the way you have and playing such an important leadership role, empowering people and helping people be good citizens by giving them a way to volunteer and give back. You guys have done a splendid job, and I hope that you feel proud of what you've accomplished. Well, with you saying that, I also have to extend a bit of gratitude to Fort Houston because you guys really helped us out with taking on the ventilators project because with us doing the face masks and the other projects, it's definitely our, you know, not quite enough manpower here to do everything. Exactly. So it's no, you used up the, the pool of volunteer energy only goes so far. Maybe someday we can have a potluck between the two maker spaces and everybody get that. Get I new. hope it will be soon. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, well yeah. we, maybe we'll have a six foot potluck. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys. Have a good day. Good day. Yep. What is it? It's uh, live strong and prosper. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. All right. Good day now. Good day. Bye. Bye. How's everybody doing today? How are you doing, Will? I am well, Chad. How are you? I'm doing good. How art thou? You doing a phone thing? Yeah, I'm just getting, changing my mind. Muhammad's here. not on the phone yet. We're getting ready to call him right now. We're not. No, but we are streaming live to YouTube. No. No. <laughs> no, we're we're uh recording if, right. If now. you give me a phone uh phone charger, <clears throat> I can get mine from upstairs or something, and I'll stream live to YouTube. Hmm? We shouldn't stream live to YouTube. I learned that. Yeah. No, we we should do it and then edit it afterward and then post it. And then it. post it. That was loud. What the hell was that? Huh. How did that happen? That's, That's the mic cable. It doesn't stay down. It don't stay down. Oh, it just shot up? Yeah. we're live right now. I like it. I like a little bit of danger in the podcast. All right. Let me uh, dial up Muhammad here. Dialing up Muhammad. Hello? Hey, how are you doing, Mohammed? 
Hey, uh, how are you? I'm good. This is Chad, and I'm here with Will Harper, the executive director of the Nashville Make Space. Hey, Mahalo. Uh, very nice. Very nice, uh, uh, very nice to meet you both. You too. I actually have always wanted to come to Nashville, uh, uh, and uh, and yeah, like this is uh, this is an opportunity to meet people. I'm I'm hopeful I can I can swing by there. Maybe maybe you guys can show me around. Definitely. So uh, yeah, we're our we were wanting to reach out to you and get a little info about what's going on in New York City and how it's affected the make space there. Um, yeah, uh, so basically, you know, I mean, there's, there's a bunch to know. So with, uh, with us, um, we've been, um, we've been kind of not, uh, not operating too much. Uh, we are based out of the parks department recreation center. So, uh, NYC makerspace, uh, and which is not to be confused with makerspace NYC. There are two entities that have a very similar name. Um, uh, so, um, uh, NYC Makerspace is a is a um, nonprofit focused on creating um, like easy to access makerspaces or cheap to access makerspaces in in public um, in public spaces. So uh, with uh, with our space, we are partnered with the Parks Department of New York City, and um, the uh, we are we're housed out of one of their rec centers, and hopefully we're you know our goal is to be in as many rec centers as they'll have us in, which they want us in, in as many as we can afford. Um, so, uh, currently we operate out of the one rec center in Marcus Garvey Park in Harlem, um, called Pelham Fritz. Um, and, uh, we are, uh, we're basically, you know, we don't really charge for usage of, of the space. Um, the, the only charge there is, is having a member, a parks, uh, membership. Um, hmm. uh, we give some classes as you saw on our website, we haven't kind of updated them in a while. Um, and, uh, otherwise it's kind of like open free to use for people that walk into the space and, and, and use the space. So needless to say with the lockdown, no one is really <laughs> passing through. We've gotten a couple of emails of, you know, random people asking if, you know, if they're willing to, if we'd be willing to let them use our laser cutter, uh, and our printers to, to make shields, which we have, um, uh, let them to do that. Obviously we only have. Uh, one functioning laser cutter right now, uh, uh, which is a Versa laser that's uh, uh, 24 by 36, and uh, we have uh, we have three 3D printers that are there, so we probably make like 20 to 20 to 40 masks, uh, you know, every eight hours or so. Mm. Um, uh, with uh, in terms of laser cut, or not masks, sorry, shields. Uh, if you're just laser cutting them, and then if you're if you're making those, um, you know, the the uh, the the Prusa shields, I think probably take a couple of days um so yeah so that's that's basically the the status of where we're at we're kind of at hiatus right now and um outside of the you know the random people that are that are coming in to print shields or to make shields and and um and to use the space uh, somebody came in to 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 solder uh something for I, i'm not sure what it was but because i wasn't there personally uh, but they asked to use our soldering irons um you know it's just random requests at this point but not not really heavy traffic like like we were having before yeah, that's pretty much how it is here in Nashville. We've just been printing some face shields and the headbands for them, and we've been we've got a sewing operation going on, making masks. But we've had a lot of people calling in and asking us, you know, to get involved in making masks for them. And but yeah, we're pretty much. I don't know how 
the lockdown is where you guys are at, but it's been kind of casual here to say. Like we still have like uh, people it's, going. To it's pretty serious here in New York. Hello. Yes. Uh, I think you cut off for a second there. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear Hello? me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean things are things are definitely not casual in New York. They there are people that are leaving their homes. There are people walking around a little bit, um, but it is mostly empty. <laughs> the streets are mostly empty. It's actually pretty great, like, you know, all, you know, generally as if, you know, if I wasn't, you know, hoping that we'd get more traffic in the in the space. Um, but, you know, I'm grateful that people are taking quarantine um, and, you know, uh, social isolation, um, social distancing, sorry, uh, uh, more seriously. Uh, we definitely need it in New York um, and things, you know, the numbers are showing that their things are kind of calming down a little bit. Um uh, so it must be working on, on some level. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, I think it's, it's the same in every major city, but it, it definitely is a lot more serious than most, most places. I'm, I'm going, I do like move between New York and, and Pennsylvania, um, right outside of Philly, which is where my parents live, uh, quite regularly. Uh, I mean, I haven't been back to New York in, in, uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely more serious there than it is around here. So you're in Philly right now? Right now I'm in, I'm in, yeah, I'm outside of Philly by a little bit in a place called uh, Malvern. So I'm about 20 okay. minutes outside of Philly. Have you seen what it looks like downtown Philly? Yeah. I mean, uh, Philadelphia is, it's almost as uh, quiet as New York. Um, it's becoming the past couple of weeks, the, uh, the number of cases have ramped up. So it's become a lot more deserted. Um, but when, you know, the first, you know, the, the initial weeks, I would say like, which when we, you know, when the, um, stay at home measures were, were being implicated, were, you know, being you know, pushed out, um, there, it definitely was not taken as seriously as, as New York. It was, people were, were out and about, like it was, you know, another normal day. Uh, I, I would say it was, it was about three or four weeks ago that people started to take things seriously in, in, in Philadelphia and about like two weeks since things have really shut down. So w when did you leave New York? Uh, I left New York at the, at the beginning of April, like towards the end of uh, March is when I, I stopped, uh, I stopped going. So I, I would, I'm based out of uh, Philadelphia and I would go to New York about three to four days a week. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That seems like uh, good timing on your, I mean, if you can. Yeah. I mean like at that point, my, you know, my, I, you know, I'm living with, with, uh, with family and, and, uh, you know, we, we have some young kids here. Um, so we, you know, we were, we we're kind of afraid of, of anything, you know, of me spreading the infection, especially as things were, were really getting dire in New York. Oh, I, I, you were afraid uh, I realized of... that I, I wasn't going to really make too much of a dent in, in terms of face shields and yeah. masks with, you know, with, with my machines. So I did my best in terms of connecting people, uh, with larger maker spaces and, and fabrication spaces and, and, you know. Uh, did you know got the hell out of here, <laughs> so did, out of here. did you say that you that your family like you were a bit cautious coming from the big city yeah i mean like it's coming from new york i, I mean i i spent when i you know the, the the first two weeks of april not 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 talking to anyone at my house like literally in my room right it's, it's uh it's almost a uh you know kind of like a, a dungeon cell so. right well yeah i mean that's i spent the first three days of 
uh, I, I can't remember exactly when the the order was given in Tennessee to to quarantine, but I spent a few days uh, in isolation, and then um, I saw the story about Prusa and the face shields, and so I got over here to the makerspace and just started 3D printing, and it kind of snowballed into a huge operation with uh, the masks, and we're working with a distillery to do hand sanitizer, and you know now I can barely take a day off, but. Um, it's yeah, good. I mean, it's honestly, you're doing really essential work. If my space wasn't so small, I would definitely be a lot more, uh, I'd, you know, I'd be out there, you know, keep keeping on going. It's um, it's just that, I mean, I didn't, uh, I just, I, I didn't see any way that I could ramp up my, my, uh, you know, the amount of, the amount of output that we could create. Um, well, you said you, especially as, you said you were sorry. coordinating with other, other spaces and fabrication facilities, right? So yeah, so we're so um, you know I have a few friends that worked in that work in Elmhurst and um, hospital and, and Mount Sinai Hospital. So they they relate to me what their needs were, um, and you know you know there aren't that many maker spaces in New York, uh, unfortunately. So uh, I I knew some of the the bigger ones um, in terms of both academic and private maker spaces. Um, and so I, I connected them with, uh, with both, um, you know, um, I'm, I used to be the manager of the Columbia makerspace. Um, so I connect them with the new manager of the Columbia makerspace and they, there's a huge effort there. Uh, uh, I'm friends with NYU makerspace manager and they, they, they also were, were pumping out masks and also makerspace NYC, which has two spots in, um, two locations in Staten Island and Brooklyn. Uh, they were also pumping out masks pretty, uh, uh, pretty well. So um, I think they were doing something like three to eight thousand uh, a day. Have you uh, heard or seen of any protests in your city? We've been having a lot of. Yeah, I'm really sorry, guys. Like I, uh, you know, thank God. Like you know, we're I think we're you know the the cities in the north and on the coasts are a little bit more sane. Right, um, right, right. But, uh, we, uh, I, I don't want to get too political, but yeah, that's. Uh, no, I was about. Not to get, it's hard not to get political, to be honest with you. Well, um, yeah, that's you, what I was actually going to ask you about. You said, did you say that unfortunately there wasn't that many makerspaces in New York? No, there, there really, there really aren't that many. Uh, well, I would say there are about like twenty or thirty, maybe. No, less. I would say there are about ten to fifteen private makerspaces that are open to the public. Uh, in New York City, I don't. Yeah, maybe probably less than fifteen even. Um, and then the uh, uh, in terms of when I say private, I mean like not in an institution. Right. Uh, not in an academic institution. Uh, there are every academic institution has a has a makerspace at this point. Right. Every school has a makerspace at this point. Uh, but private makerspaces, there are very there aren't that many. And that's I mean that's also to do with the fact that you know the cost of running you know the cost of membership in a makerspace. Um, is relatively high. I mean, this is right. one of the reasons why I started at Maker, uh, NYC Makerspace uh, is because uh, to join my makerspace or to, to have access to, to, to our makerspace, you have to have, um, you know, parks membership, which is if you're above, uh, I think, 20 years old, you're paying $100 a year. Hmm. If you're younger than 18, you're paying $25 a year. And then even these even these fees can be waived depending on your earnings. That's cool. Um Whereas, yeah, if you're a private makerspace, and I understand this, I mean, you have overhead, you have like just keeping the lights on and having the space, renting the space, you know, it's thousands and thousands of dollars. And that's so you have to charge people. And, and the minimum that you, I, I've seen is uh, between 80 to 100 dollars a month. And that's not including the, the materials that you're using. Right. Um, 
and, and so on. So like it's uh, it, that's fine for working professionals. Um, but, you know, I grew up in the city and, you know, I come from a working class family. Um, my family did not have uh, definitely did not have a hundred dollars a month to spare on one person going to a makerspace, much right. less both their kids. Right. Um, so uh, that's that's kind of where the inspiration for Makerspace NYC came. Uh, sorry, uh, NYC Makerspace came. So uh, Chad has a constantly calm me down. So, well, not constantly, but frequently calm me down when I when I start thinking and talking about this stuff. And it sounds like you're probably in a similar boat, if not a deeper one, just being in New York City there. But uh, what is your impression of the? the system, the organization, the management of the PPE, the production and, and distribution to, uh, to hospitals and the like up there? So uh, at, the, at the start, it was very chaotic. It was extremely chaotic. It really didn't start being reined in until like maybe this, the first, the end of the first week of April, maybe the, 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 the second week and, of April. And who reined it in? Um, where, sorry? Who reined it in? And in terms amongst the makerspaces, then there were two major kind of um, uh, what is called supply chains that were going on. There was one in the north, uh, like in northern Manhattan and so on. That was uh, it was being led by uh, Columbia uh, or students from Columbia. And uh, um, uh, I think uh, Manhattan, um, I can't remember the, the, the name of the uh, the organization. But, but it was, was makerspaces maker in Manhattan as well. It was makerspaces, um, though. You, you, I mean, you think they... Did they just put a dent in it? Were they a, a major player in supplying the, the initially? I would say they were. They were a. They definitely put a dent in in like in in like the need. I, I would say that it would have been three or four. I would say probably up to a week of no PPE at all right. in these hospitals if these makerspaces and these um, these universities didn't get involved. Right. Um, honestly, it was the universities and. Um, uh, Makerspace NYC uh, are the two major players in in supplying um, in supplying PPP. Um, this the the university group uh, and uh, uh, the group of makerspaces that were in Manhattan. Uh, I can send you information about that after our call. Cool. Um, and uh, the the guy leading it is actually a former student of mine. His name is Jake Lee, uh, and you could I would say he'd be you know great at interviewing. You know, would be a great person to interview. Um, and I can connect you with him directly. Um, and he was the one that actually led this initiative with Columbia, with, uh, all of the makerspaces in Manhattan. Um, and, uh, then there was another, another initiative that was, uh, NYU, uh, uh, makerspace. And that was leading, leading that initiative in Brooklyn and in, um, uh, and yeah, mostly, mostly in Brooklyn. And then uh, uh, Makerspace NYC was leading initiatives in in, in Brooklyn and in uh, Staten Island. So, so how do you think all the folks involved? I mean, do they just have like the like the uh, Hindu cow calmness, or would would they? Uh, I mean, do you think honestly, they ever was, did they it, ever it, expect to be doing something like this? It, yeah, honestly, it was it was basically. All of us wanted to do something. I mean, running a makerspace is a communal activity. Right. Like it is, you are. It is basically the most one of the most communal jobs there there are, if not the most communal job there is. Right. Like right. Uh, you're teaching people, 
and you're you're welcoming people from you know just randomly to come use their your machines and it's literally you're you're remaking your community constantly with every training that you give right right with every membership that you bring in so um which is different than most jobs uh, most jobs you're seeing the same person every day right. the same group of people every day um so it was. I'm sure it was very difficult. I mean, I found it very difficult to 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 not be in New York. Uh, I'm sure it was very difficult for uh, for anyone who has the resources to be like, no, I'm not doing this, right? Like, right. I I think that everyone who had the resources, uh, no matter what, they were gonna do everything possible to help the city. So what what do you think about? Uh, have you been in touch with any medical professionals up there? I mean, how, what's your yeah, sense? Yeah, so of the people, you know, I, you know, I left, I left New York as I said in the end of March, um, uh, or I, I stopped going to New York at the end of March, um, and I, I honestly, there, there are many over there that, that, uh, that, you know, that's that was the one way that I could find to help people was to connect these medical professionals with shop managers right. with uh, manufacturing. Um, uh, uh, organizations and uh, the two, uh, as I said, that were that I was most close to were uh, uh, two residents that worked in Elmhurst Hospital and uh, in uh, Mount Sinai. And Elmhurst, Elmhurst Hospital, I think, was the worst hit in the country. Have the maker have the have the makerspaces been able to donate everything? Are they selling things at cost, or do you know if? Uh, they've done their, their best to donate as much as possible. And then when they ran out of money, they've been selling things at cost. Right. So it's universities that have been able to donate, uh, like, like free of, free of charge. Right. Uh, but private makerspaces have been, you know, have gone to a point where, you know, they, at the, at the beginning, they, they donated thousands. And, um, after, I think by the end of March or the, by the beginning of April, they were starting to donate at cost. I got one, which is relatively cheap. Still, it was a couple of cents per mask or per shield. So right, it's not, right. It wasn't, wasn't um, there was no gouging. Do you know uh, if there's there's bound to be some type of organization forming as a result of this to prevent it or deal with anything similar in the future? And I feel like New York would be one of the best. You guys do an amazing job of organizing politically and protesting and demonstrating. There's got to be. Because I feel like that's necessary at this point. Like we, I feel like we've been left out uh, vulnerable. Well, there was there was the uh, there was there are organizations that were formed by Governor Cuomo um, and uh, you know what's his name? Uh, uh, what is it called? Trevor Noah. Mm. Uh, the Daily Show is like brings them up. Um, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll look them up. I can't remember their names. Um, but yeah, there there are organizations that are that are forming that have that are are you know, around donating PPE and, um, and, and finding and, and supplying the PPE. And those organizations actually formed relatively early and there was a lag time between them, uh, being formed and them donating the PPE that was needed to the hospitals. Right. So at this point they have been formed, um, uh, and they are, uh, they are, um, you know, operational, um, but they, they're, uh, they're, you know, they're, you know, it took some time for them to, to, to actually get together. So hopefully for the fall and we're going to be ready, um, because this thing is definitely going to come back in the fall. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it took some time for things to, to, to get moving. So, um, what are your plans moving forward from this event to what are you looking towards in the future? 
so honestly, it's moving forward safely. I I definitely don't want to contribute to any kind of issue. The sum the summer basically it's the pro the summer programming is almost shot right. um, for the makerspace, uh, and I would assume also the fall programming. Um, it's going to be it's going to be rough going until December or until January until there's a vaccine. Like really, that it's going to be rough going for another couple of uh, months. Have you, um, have and you guys? We're just going to have to like weather it. Uh, I'm limiting the number of people that are coming into the space even after opening. Hmm. Um, we really, I don't think we can handle more than three to five people at a time. Right. Um, come up with then, like a scheduling structure, perhaps, or something for people. Uh, yeah, uh, like you know, just signed up, and we'll we'll let you know. You know, we'll let you know when you can when you can access. Have you guys fooled around with creating any digital content to share with your uh, community? Um, not not necessarily. We, I mean, w there's a lot of digital content that exists already on online, and I don't, you know, I, I don't. I feel like, you know, between, um, you know, between like the repositories that exist, Instructable, Thingiverse, all all of those, mm -hmm. and Hackaday, Hackster, et cetera, et cetera. I can't really do much better than that. Right. Right. Like uh, it's it, those those take a lot of resources as is, and that you know I'd rather have a you know fewer larger communities than when it comes to knowledge sharing and skill sharing than you know many smaller ones. Um, uh, when it comes you know like just rep repository wise, um, what we are doing. I mean, what we are doing is you know in terms of training and so on. Uh, we we would rather do things in person. Uh, I actually have a startup, uh, you know, that does um, uh, training and scheduling uh, and access control, uh, which uh, we uh, we need to. I still actually haven't installed it at at uh, uh, at NYC Makerspace um, that we've been developing for the past couple of months. So hopefully this will be some good time down to really focus on that. Um, that's what that's what we've been doing, or that's what I've been doing the last month. Um, but really, you need to be there in person to train someone on how, on how to use a machine. Right. Uh, there's no, you know, there's no doing things from far away. Yeah. If it's a laser cutter, you have to be there. If it's a 3D printer, sure, you can show them uh, via video. But unless they have a 3D printer at home, it's really not worth it. Right. Uh, um, so, so that's really what what it's at. Like I, you know, we we try as much as possible to give access where where we can stay safe. So, do you guys have like a YouTube channel or anything? No, we do not. No, we do not. We are a small community makerspace. We uh, we have our um, you know our, our courses that we give in person. We have we give our um, you know we give our access to our drive, uh, which basically you know and we kind of do things uh, in a recreative fashion. So there is no curriculum. Um, so you come in, you learn how to use the tool, and then we go through some kind of uh, build exercise together and. Yeah. You know, um, and we're trying to kind of remove any kind of um, uh, prestige or uh, hesitance when it comes to like learning something new. Uh, That's I, awesome. we, we try to have fun as much as possible. That's it's, really cool. The goal of our space is learning through recreation. Yeah. So you don't seem like I feel like there's a number of maker spaces, even public libraries, who are kind of freaked out about their. Um, kind of existence or sustainability budgets and stuff people are wondering you know but the parks and rec department in uh new york city is not going anywhere i would imagine and exactly do you exactly. have do you find that like other 
like employees from the parks and rec department do they ever wander into your makerspace or do they make use it to make signage or anything ever yes so that's actually our biggest like user is other like is other um you know uh, is our individuals employed by the parks that's cool um have been our biggest users and and uh um you know uh, you know the, the ones that use the, the space and equipment the most um so that's that's pretty great and they're all like gung-ho about trying to expand to their into into their rec center um i'm you know i'm lucky in terms of the fact that we are smaller and we we ran this space from the beginning at volunteer style mm-hmm. so it, it it hurts in terms of reliability and it hurts in terms of um you know uh, getting as many resources as you need and expansion and all this stuff but it's great because in time when you know in times like these we are able to run you know mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about overhead right, right? Um, and the way that I the, the, the deal that I've cut with the parks is the resources belong to them the laser cutters that I get donated they're theirs mm. the everything's theirs we're there just to run the the space with them and help them run it run it really uh, to run programming through it and help them to, to run the space so is that is that if you're only there a few times a week, I'm guessing it's not your full time, but it sounds like it could be if you're putting in 10, 12 hour days. Yes. I mean, if, if we, you know, if we wanted to, if I wanted to, this could be a full time job. Right. But again, like then I would not be able to feed myself. So um, that's the, that's the, that's the deal there. Like I, I really feel like um, these spaces need to have like the, the public sphere government, whatever mm-hmm. needs to have more, uh, more of a hand in, these spaces. And when I say that, I mean in, um, in funding these spaces. Well, I would expect if, after an event like we're going through, it would become pretty apparent how useful they are, you know, when it comes yeah. to making face shields and, and masks all of a sudden. It's like back up. Absolutely. Back up. Absolutely. In terms of making the, the needs of a community right. on, on a relatively short time scale, right. you know, these spaces are, are essential. Um, we'll see if that translates to funding. I mean, that's, I am. I am not hopeful when it comes to government. Uh, I unfortunately, even even in New York, um, even like you know the most progressive spaces, it, it really is. Um, I've been let down a lot, um, and so I really feel like communities need to come together and take care of themselves. It's, um, it feels like an uphill yes, battle. Yes, there needs to be pressure on on governments. Right. Um, but even that that pressure comes with organization, and that organization is only comes with or communities come together. Do you uh, do you guys participate in the World Maker Fair? Have yes, you? we do. Nice. Yeah, I mean, when it happened, I mean, it's not. It, like, I wouldn't guess it would be happening, but I yeah, was up it's there. Not, it's not. It didn't happen last year, I believe, and it's not going to happen this year. It's probably not going to happen for another couple of years. Huh. Yeah, I fell in love with your city. Uh, stayed in Brooklyn at a hostel and uh, stopped by the the fair. It was a few years back, and then there was a climate march that that next day on a Sunday through uh manhattan and i mean you guys' whole the culture the community the people the street art the mass transit uh, the the number of makerspaces you had to me was mind-blowing because we're one of the only ones here in nashville but uh yeah. I, I get that there i mean every every just about every, any vacant church or old mini market store building i see on a corner anywhere i'm like there should be a makerspace in there for the people who live in this neighborhood you know Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's, you know, that's the dream. That's the goal that, that people are inspired to, to see this, so that, to see that like, this is, um, it's key for them to engage. I mean, like I, I still, I mean, until the, 
before COVID um, would meet people in Harlem that have never seen a 3D printer, right? have never seen a laser cutter. And you're, you know, it really is, it's problematic because this is the, the these are, these are machines slash digital manufacturing is not going away. This is what, this is what, this is the reality of the future. This right. is the reality of manufacturing and, and, and production. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the increase, you know, there's a decrease in the number of skilled workers that are able to, yep. uh, you know, there are fewer skilled workers that are able to, you know, interact with this. Um, and that will increase the, the, the divide in terms of class divide, in terms of um, economic divide between people. Yeah, you, um, you guys have some really cool stuff that I'm aware of up there in New York with uh, different educational programs that uh, I, I could get you some resources on. You're probably already familiar with, though, but I mean. You guys are leading, at least on the, the East Coast, as far as I can tell, the the movement of makers. Yeah, we you know we're doing pretty well, but I can I can tell you that it's still not enough. Uh, we're doing. I'm not. You know, I'm not saying that there isn't. There there definitely is, but it, it is. It, well, it's good you feel you that know, way though, because you're you're you know it can good is not good enough, right? I mean, exactly, exactly. Like you know, we're saying you know yes, there are many. Uh, there are many resources. There are many programs in schools. Right. Um, but, you know, there are how many? 15, 20, 30 schools that have makerspaces in New York City. There are like over 100 schools in New York City. Mm. Right. Like that. that's yes, there are. There's more than the average in terms of um, the throughout the country. But also there are more people here right. or there, right? Like there's yeah. more, you know, th- there's a lot more that needs to be done. Um, and I-, I really hope that, that, that there is, you know, that there is some media that, that gets shined up upon the, the, the heroes of this within these spaces um, that people do understand the importance. But I also understand the people, the pressures that people face. Um, they are, um, uh, you know, it's hard to work a jo- like, you know, in New York, if you're making less than 70 K a year, you're really struggling. Right. And, and you really need to make 70 K a year or more in order to survive. Uh-huh. Um, and like, and as a family, as a family of, of, of three or, 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 or four, that's, you know, it, you really are, are, you know, pinching every single penny if you're making 70 or yet or less. Yeah. And, um, and even if you, I mean, you can maybe make that and live outside of the city, but you're still going to have to, I mean, you could transport, you could expect exactly. a three hour commute each way on exactly. average. Exactly. Exactly. So it really is, uh, it's a grind. It's a, it's a serious grind to live in New York. Yeah. The two um, or three days I spent so there. Was I understand why, why people don't have enough time for it. It's just social services need to improve across the board. And unfortunately, you know, uh, yes, we are a very progressive city. Um, in a very progressive part of the country. So I had a meeting today with a group that in the past I'd proposed online meetings with and was told it wasn't an option. And the meeting today, of course, was virtual. Um, do you expect that a lot of folks' paradigms will have shifted after realizing they can reasonably work remotely? I mean, there's got to be tons of people who are commuting to that city that could and have been working remote on a regular basis. Yes, to a certain extent, because productivity has also decreased. Ah, right. And here's the issue, guys. Like I, um, you know, again, I, I'm going to use the S word <laughs> in, in what I'm about to say. 
and we or and the c word which is capitalism and socialism here oh yeah and we are you know yes even though we live in a very progressive city on the very progressive part of the country we are still the heart of the economy mm-hmm. right this is new york right right this is wall street so uh you know productivity is productivity and you need to make money to live um and uh, the lifestyle is not is a is very fast um and there isn't enough hours in the day so uh that is just that's a mindset and that's the the way that which we choose to live as a as a city as a country um and in in the the few social resources or allotments we give to the average person um and Again, like I'm, I'm trying not to be too political, but it, that's the reality of the situation. Well, you want people to be more engaged with their production. You want people to be more in, like um, aware, uh, more intelligent, more uh, conscious. You know, uh, yeah, like they're even more self-reliant. Right. You need to give them more time, and you need to give right. them more resources. It's healthier, right? Exactly. I mean, mentally so, and physically. And- Exactly. And that's one of the things I love about Nashville and out, living outside of the city, to be honest. I lived in the city for all of my life. I grew up in Brooklyn. But, like, you know, my my ex-wives are from, from outside of the city. Uh, one was from, from Portland, Oregon. The other is from, uh, from uh, New Hampshire. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until I left, I you know, I was, I, I was at, in, in university that I was able to, to really enjoy not being in the city and understand how, the, the beauty and, and, like, revival of of not being in a place where you're constantly beat upon with noise and traffic right. and 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 you know and and people um and you know a lack of nature concrete right so um yeah i i, I definitely it's just it is what it is and new york can be that like if you have the means uh new york can definitely be a really easygoing and amazing place probably the best place to live because there is the park there is uh you know you you can be take the train and within 30 minutes you're you're in upstate you're you're able to uh you know you have you have large amounts of green but um if you make 800k um, a year is no problem right exactly exactly unless you're unless you've got a problem like uh i'm not sure if you saw uncut gems yet but um that guy was wasting his money anyhow. Uh, yeah. you, will you do me a favor, Mo, and make sure if you uh, shoot us any emails or just get in touch with me because I could get super political with you off the air. Um, my email is will at makenashville.org. Awesome. I would love to stay in touch and uh, just kind of be aware because, you know, even though you guys could probably do, be doing better, I feel like you're doing immensely better than we are down here. Um, do you- I, I, I appreciate it. Um, I hope things uh, hope things improve for everyone. Um, you know, no matter what you believe, this is this is a this is a terrible you know situation, and and I really hope everyone gets better, um, and I hope our leaders get better. Well, that's the, that's the only <laughs> other question I had for you is is this is this I mean maybe being uh, inside of it, it's it's arguable from some perspectives that you're biased, but. Um, it seems to me like there's some, if not borderline, legitimately criminal behavior that's occurred. I, I there's no other way to explain it. I mean, I, I challenge any like person who is in support of, let's just say the administration. Uh, right. I'm not even talking about local politics here. Right. Like the administration to defend, uh, to defend things like 
advising people to or or question or questioning even the idea that perhaps injecting disinfectant would be a good idea. Yeah, I was thinking about making a tutorial video on how how we could do that. You know, a satirical a satirical tutorial. But, like, uh, like, I, I honestly, how is that? How is that okay? Like, you, like, dude, you gotta, <laughs> one person who is listening to this podcast have, would, would respond back to me and explain that and how that is not criminal. <laughs> I, you know, I, I will, I will, I will, I will change my mind. Have you read any Thomas Paine? Yes, of course. Have you read uh, uh, the Age of Reason? Yeah, uh, no, I did not. You know, he wrote uh, that back in the late 1700s and it was talking about a concerted effort to control the population through, uh, um, I, I, it wasn't, I don't think he referred to it as misinformation. He was very critical of the church, uh, which makes sense yeah. when you think about uh, condemning science. Um, exactly, exactly. I mean, the only the only Thomas Paine I read, and because of school, thank God, uh, the, is is Common Sense. So I, I really appreciate uh, I, I really appreciate this, but I'm going to definitely go back and and read this and reflect upon our time. I mean, it's uh, crazy to think that hundreds of years ago somebody was already like warning, like this is we're on a a path that we might want to consider, you know, like seriously, do we want people to be misinformed and disbelieve yeah. the truth? Uh, but I mean, there's been, you know, honestly, there there has been, you know, a, a conservative concerted effort from every political side that to to you know kind of bend the truth to suit their needs, and I understand that. But when it comes to people's health, that is wrong. Like that is like pure wrong and pure evil. Well, dude, we're gonna um, we're gonna have to talk again soon. Yes, for sure. I mean, I don't, sure. I don't know if you want to go. We've been talking for a little while, but I feel like Chad might be kind of giving me the eye, and I've asked you a ton of questions already, and we might, before we get too heated, might do a, a chapter two or something. But definitely, please hit me up so we can stay in touch. Absolutely. And I'll connect you guys as well with uh, with Jake, who's been leading the um, the initiatives here with PPE um, in, in Manhattan Sweet. Uh, and Upper New York, and, and uh, I'll do my best to, to keep in contact with you guys. Sweet. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for Thanks, your guys. time today and talking with us. I appreciate your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. See you, man. Be, be well. You too. Hi, this is Chad back with you with 1 Million Breaths Podcast today in the studio. I have a guest. It's Marshall from Pennington Distillery. How are you doing today, Marshall? I'm good, Chad. Thank you for having me here. Well, thanks for coming. Um, Marshall and I met recently. He set up the free hand sanitizer that uh, Pennington's is making right now. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so when all of this went down, uh, I got a. I was reading some emails, and I got one, just one of those things that flew around on Facebook. And it was a distiller out in Oregon that was making and giving away hand sanitizer. I called my boss and sent him the link. He said, let's great, do it. Go get some ingredients. We'll start making some. We made some and did some tests, did some testing for about a week. And it turned out really well. We liked the product. Uh, then it seems like a lot of distilleries started doing it all around the same time. I guess everyone saw that same one little web page. And, you know, we just started making hand sanitizer. Very quickly, it scaled up. Uh, in about, I'm going to call it five days, I went from making 50 gallons in a week to about 8,000 gallons a day. And now we're making a little bit more than that. But 
I got in touch with the owner and, you know, he's all, he's very much, we're very much alike in that we felt that there was a need to be doing it and we had the ability to help. So we started helping and now we're making hand sanitizer about 16 hours every day. So what, what is the hand sanitizer made out of? Uh, the hand sanitizer is made out of high proof alcohol, a little bit of glycerin and a little bit of hydrogen peroxide. The glycerin acts as a humectant, and what it does is it protects your hands. The alcohol is going to, it, it will dehydrate your hands very quickly. Uh, so if you just touch the stuff, just pure alcohol, it's going to dehydrate you. That's why when you drink alcohol, you feel real thirsty and dehydrated after the fact. So the glycerin actually kind of protects your hands and keeps it a little bit nicer for it. The hydrogen peroxide actually kind of sterilizes the container that it's in. So the recipe that we have to follow is one that has come through FDA, CDC, and the WHO, World Health Organization. So we're very limited in what we can do, and that's the basic recipe that we can follow. So how has this affected your normal distillery operation? Like what, what percentage of the time are you doing your basic alcohol that you normally make, and what percentage of the time are you doing hand sanitizer uh we've been doing this for about a month now and we have we've completely just shut down our distillery uh and we focused purely on hand sanitizer uh so it's been a hundred percent change for us um very shortly we're trying to reopen our distillery uh if we if all the distilleries are shut down in about five years there's going to be a little bit of a shortage where no one was making any so some of the bigger companies are trying to open their distilleries back up. Uh, we're just trying to open it up partly and get a little bit of more whiskey aging. But we're still making hand sanitizer 16 hours every day. Okay. Yeah, is it, have you heard? Is Jack Daniels doing the same thing? or? Uh, I have not heard, uh, but I would imagine they're, they're still rolling. They're such a large organization, they can devote the resources to probably do both. Uh, okay. Yeah, when I came over there that first day, it's like it's so crazy with the doing the giveaways. You guys are still doing that on Fridays, correct? Yes, we're still doing our giveaways. Uh, you can follow us at Pickers Vodka or Pennington Distilling Company. Uh, you can check our Facebook page. But right now we're doing the giveaways every Friday from 1 to 6. And what, what can people, do they got to bring their own vessels to get the hand sanitizer? Yep, uh, bring your own vessel. Uh, we'll sanitize it real quick, and then we'll give up to a half gallon per person. That's such a great thing. I mean, so what what is the diversity of the people that you've seen come in and get hand sanitizer? Uh, it's completely diverse. It's all across the board. We've had every walk of life. I've had young people. I've had kids. We've had the elderly come in. Um, it's been everyone at one point or another. So there's no like age limit, like you have to be 21 or anything to obtain the hand sanitizer? Nope, none whatsoever. Okay. So it is high proof alcohol, but we denature it. So we, by law we have to, so you can't drink it. Uh, clearly says on the label, not for human consumption, unlike our other products. Has anybody tried to drink it? <laughs> not that I'm aware of. And... It probably wouldn't be a very pleasant experience to even just take a taste of it. No, no, I, I can't imagine that it would be. So uh, we, we kind of had a conversation about some of the audiobooks you're reading and you're kind of 
contemplating the connection between the two. You want to elaborate on that? Uh, sure. One of the books, like, it, one of the books I'm a huge fan of is Max Brooks's World War Z, and it's an oral history of the zombie apocalypse and what happens after the fact. A lot of it is. Some of it's a little out there, but he has one section that details America in kind of the post-recovery, and it's called Homefront. Uh, if you ever get to listen to the audiobook, listen to the abridged version, uh, this particular section has Alan Alda as the man in charge of the distress, the com- country's recovery, we'll call it. And okay. It has, it deals with kind of breaking the stereotypes and all the boundaries that are already around. So you have one section where this high, you know, this casting director who's cast the top 10 seasons of the last wonderful TV shows in America. Uh, She's now completely useless in a post-war scenario. And she is now learning, she's being retrained how to be a maid at a weapons plant by ironically her former maid. And there's also this warm, fuzzy feeling of these people who they've changed up their lives entirely. They've changed it up to what they're doing. And, you know, a casting director is now a maid or some high blue, uh, white collar executive is now a blue collar worker. But you see a lot of people of making their own food and selling it to their neighbors and trading trade comes back in and you get a little bit of people you know i'm a chimney sweep i keep my neighbors warm in the winter or you see that wool or you see that sweater that came from my sheet so it's a a very sense of pride and honor that came back and i've seen a lot of that in this covid pandemic uh we work you know i work closely with some ems friends of mine uh, up in robertson county We've gotten to provide them with some sanitizer and keep them in check. I know what y'all are doing here is very big. Uh, y'all have a lot of people making masks and ventilators, which is just awesome. Yeah, we actually just, uh, I'll share some pictures with you after we're done here. They've actually got 100 ventilators completely assembled. They're just going through the testing phase right now. Man, that that's awesome. And that's one of the things that, that book always harkens back to me and brings back a lot of warm, fuzzy memories because that's what I feel right now. Like being able to step up and, you know, we have an awesome company and they're willing to help out. So basically spending the last month making hand sanitizer 16, 18 hours a day to give it away and get it to the people who need it. We've had a lot of emergency personnel from EMSs and doctors and police, firemen, from kind of from all across the board. I had a a nursing home out in Waverly come up that they couldn't, they were not allotted anything and they just couldn't get it. So of course we took care of them, got them what they needed and we're happy to do it. But it's a, gives me a big sense of pride to see that Pickers branded or fresh branded sanitizer out on the market, getting it to people who need it. Yeah, that's a good thing. Man, I've been seeing, oh, where was it, twice daily? They had a hand sanitizer for $9 a bottle. I'm just like, dang. Yeah. Um, it's There are people out there that are price gouging it right now. Same is true of kind of any crisis. There's always going to be those. 
But then you see all the people who are, you know, making masks and mailing them to hospitals and doctors and nurses. Uh, I can see in front of us we have one of the little ear protectors that 3D printers are making that for nurses to keep the. Yeah, yeah. You know who invented this? Who? A 13-year-old Boy Scout. Oh, I did see that. Yeah. So. It's definitely an interesting concept. That's what I I think this is, you know, we're in a phase right now. You can either be one or two ways about it. You can be like, oh, it's a hoax or, oh, they're trying to make us get go into poverty or, or else, you know, you can take this and come out a better person. You know, you can help the people around you instead of just being angry the whole time, pissed off that you can't go to work or, you know, everybody's in the same boat. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people who, some people I know are a little angry about it. Some of them are more vocal about it than others. Uh, some people think, you know, yeah, it is that scam. But a lot of the people that we've been dealing with lately are, you know, EMSs and the emergency personnel, the first responders, the frontline people. They're they're fighting hard every day, and I'm very proud to stay. You know what? As long as y'all are fighting, we're going to be standing here making the stuff to help try and keep y'all safe. Yeah. Oh, talking about books, and one that I was thinking about the other day. Um, have you ever read The Road by Cormac McCarthy? I have not. It's about a father and a son. That it's basically post-apocalypse and. They go. They have to leave their home and go on the road, and they basically it shows them like going going through neighborhoods and stuff, like searching for food or any signs of life. Yeah. And it's basically father and son, and they're going through. And in the very end, that actually the father ends up getting killed, and the son gets taken off by some other people and it's just if you haven't seen it it's probably on audiobook it's definitely worthwhile I better check that out it like I kind of thought about it cuz you know I'm sitting there hanging out with my son and we're talking about you know sustainability and working on projects I'm teaching him like how to make food from scratch you know cuz we can't just go and get it at the store every time you know so it's like we're going to have to break down and start baking our own stuff. You know, you can't always just rely on the store right now. Yep. Uh, those first couple of weeks, it was kind of touch and go with some of the Kroger's trying to get some food. Uh, I actually had a guy take a swing at me for when I was trying to buy some meat. Just some cheap ground beef, nothing fancy. Wasn't hoarding toilet paper, buying 10 rolls of it or 10 packs of it, but just a cheap little thing of ground beef and uh, I tried to take a swing at me over it. So people definitely will get a little crazy over it. Yeah. Well, from what I've heard they're they're cutting the limits off of meat now. So I guess there's not a meat shortage anymore, but who knows where that's going to go. Have you heard the stories about Smithfield farms? They had like 300 employees come down with COVID-19. Oh, wow. I had not. Yeah, it's out in South Dakota. Um, so who knows? You know, like the I saw a movie, gosh, it was called Food Incorporated. I think it came out. Have you seen that movie? 
And, you know, the kind of things that they talk about, like, what if there's a pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. and we're facing that right now. And guess what? Uh, there's a chicken farm. I'm trying to remember the, uh, what is it, Tyson Chicken? Wow. And their packaging plant, not far from here, like in Goodlitzville, they had an outbreak of over 100 people. At least that's the numbers we know of so far. Yeah. You know, who knows how many people those people had in contact with going to the store or going wherever it's just i think we're reaching a point where people have to start thinking about having more awareness of everybody around them and self-awareness of what they do like their footprint that they leave Mm -hmm. no pun intended but it's like i was recently getting a my car serviced and here comes in a pack of nurses, one was coming in to have lunch with her boyfriend straight out of the hospital ER, and they're still wearing their scrubs and shoes that they wore in the emergency room, and they're just walking around casually, hanging out at a car dealership. It's like, really? Yeah. You know, so you definitely, you know, you wouldn't have paid attention to any of that, you know, six months ago, but now it's like you hear a cough and everybody... Everybody turns around looking for I have seasonal allergies and it being, you know, for I'm 30 years old for about 25 years now, every March and April, I sneeze because everything blooms. Every time I've sneezed over the last month during this, I've had someone look at me and I actually had several run away from me just in general panic. And I'm like, okay, buddy, calm down. It's okay. It's just March. These things happen. So it's, there's definitely a lot of paranoia and, you know, you have people who are terrified of it and then you have the, we'll call them the younger generation that are out at the beaches and they're not scared of it. I think we need to lie somewhere in the middle. I know a lot of people who are doing social distancing and they're staying away from each other, but there's only so much of that you can physically do. Uh, We're starting to see some people who are a little bit, who are they need to be around some people now. They need some social interaction. Um, but a lot of people are taking this, and I've heard a lot of people describe this as the great pause. It's been a nice break. They've been able to kind of reset and relax a little bit, even though in the midst of this massive pandemic. Um, you know, I'm a dog owner, and my wife knows about got to spend a lot more time with our dog, and he's loved it. I know a lot of dogs that are just, Oh, what's going on? This is awesome. Humans staying again? Yay. Yeah, actually, I saw a thing on Nightline. I think it was Nightline. It's one of those TV news shows. While I was fixing dinner, I had it on in the background. And they said that there was a reason to celebrate at this Humane Society shelter because for the first time in the history since they opened, all the pets were adopted. There was no pets left. And I guess this is uh, – right now we're witnessing record adoptions. Like people are at home, so they're going and adopting pets. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are adopting and a lot of people are fostering dogs. So the shelters I've, that I've heard of, they're the same thing, just completely cleared out. And that's, that's one awesome thing about this. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, I think there's a lot of healthy things that can come out of it as long as 
people allow themselves to just relax, to be still for a little while and reset, take a yeah. break, just reevaluate a few things. One thing that I'd love to see is so many people are taking pride in what they're doing, but another is you look at all the you know all the people who are on YouTube that do guest appearances. They have ton guests on their show all the time. A lot of them are having to rethink what they're doing and create whole new segments that's just them. Uh, there's one guy I watch who's a very much into hot sauce and peppers and hot food. Uh, he created a whole new segment that's just you know about him cooking at home and creating new recipes and spicing them up. So it's it's really fun to see. Yeah. So um, how's the social distancing working there at Pennington's with, you know, I don't know how it was before, mm -hmm. but. Uh, so when we're over at Pennington's, we've, you know, we're limiting extra people coming into the distillery as much as possible. Uh, we're trying to keep the area where we're blending and where we're distilling some of the alcohol as well as the actual bucketing of it. We're keeping it as sanitary as possible. For, throughout a lot of our bucketing, uh, barreling and bucketing line, uh, where we're making our five-gallon buckets, they are, they're pretty much social distancing. They're wearing gloves whenever possible. They're wearing masks. Um, it's very sanitary and very good. Also, kind of working with the hand sanitizer, you pretty much bathe in it all day long. And, you know, someone will joke about, are you worried about it, even though you work with it? And my response is, there's so much of it in the air around me. I pretty much breathe it in all day long. I feel pretty comfortable. I'm not going to grab it and get the COVID right now. <laughs> so you probably uh, wouldn't be smoking either, right? Oh, no. We've pretty much banned smoking on our premise right now. <laughs> used to be we'd go smoke on, you know, the smokers would go smoke on the other side of the distillery and the property, well away from anything that could ignite. And now it's pretty much across the street. So you probably, what's, I know you, uh, when we first talked about us opening a dispensary here to give out the hand sanitizer, we were talking about, you know, pumps for barrels and you were talking about electricity. I mean, is there a certain setup with your guys' lighting to where are you guys or were you already set up i guess because you already deal with alcohol anyway so no with uh so there's dealing with the alcohol and what we do in the distillery uh we're already very careful with it we have explosive proof or explosion proof pumps and you know there's a lot of rules and regulations about how far you know where you can run electricity uh how close it can be to some alcohol that could explode or ignite uh, and we're very careful with that. Everyone there is very safety conscious about it, and they, they're very careful with it. Uh, with the hand sanitizer, uh, we've actually moved, our, our bucking line is kind of outside. It's under a tent, so it's naturally very lit. Uh, luckily, we're getting into that time of year where we have a little bit more sun. So yeah. it's very, we haven't been worried about the lights or anything down there. Uh, but we are very conscious about you know sparks or static electricity, anything like that. Yeah, uh, all of our buckets. Whenever we're filling, we actually have little alligator clamps that we put, uh, ground plastic to the plastic, and it's called the static ground. Prevents anything from any potential of just static shock from causing a problem. Oh yeah, and all of our buckets get shipped out with that. So, uh, has there what what is it that is there anything that you've missed since the pandemic has started? No, um, 
I'll be honest, my life hasn't changed all that much as far as my day-to-day routine. I still get up and go to work. Uh, I'm very fortunate in that I do have a job where I can do that. Um, I've actually been working a lot more, pulling long hours, uh, 16, 18-hour days, helping out, trying to get that hand sanitizer sent out to those who need it. But as far as day-to-day, mine hasn't changed all that much. I just went from distilling alcohol, uh, where I'm a glorified janitor, pushing some corn into a still, and we get some alcohol out of it, to uh, just making hand sanitizer, blending it up, and putting it in buckets and shipping it out. So my day-to-day hasn't changed too much. Uh, Things that I would miss... No, there's nothing much that I've missed all that much. I know a lot of people are really affected by it, and I'm sure others have some more stories of what they do miss. But for me, my my day-to-day hasn't changed too much as far as that. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely interesting times. Well, I thank you for coming by and doing this interview with me. Of course, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the tour. The love, the space that y'all have out here. Y'all got a lot going on. And uh, someday I can't wait to get in here and uh, start making some stuff. Yeah. um, If you want, tell the people how to get a hold of Pennington Distillery and so they can check out your products if they're not aware of them. Uh, You can look us up at PenningtonDistillingCompany.com. Pennington, all right, just look us up on Google. Uh, we also have it on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can look us up through our whiskey brand, Davidson Reserve, or our vodka, Pickers Vodka. All right, well, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Chad. All right, be safe.